guess George's computer crashed. I'll be back in a minute. They know. They're listening. So you said people were afraid to uh, to talk about this? Or refusing to? Like, what was the deal there? Uh, I got a lot of hemming and hawing. I got a few outright no's. And uh, then I got um, basically just stonewalled. People stopped talking to me. Uh, I'm not even like a conspiracy guy. Like this is a history podcast, right? Like the, this, we do talk a little conspiracy, and we've talked to Howdy McCoskey and stuff, and um, you know we've had those sort of out there conversations, but it's all sort of dovetailing together. Well, that's the thing. I, as much as I'm into conspiracies, I'm extremely objective and level-headed about everything that I can be. But it's like when you, when you go looking and you just find all of this stuff that's out there without even having to go to crazy conspiracy theories, like stuff like Flat Earth and stuff like that, I'm friends with almost all of the, the top Flat Earth people. And there are things that make you go, something's not right here, but you can't prove it. I mean, unless you can get on uh, Jeff Bezos' dick rocket, you, you're just not going to be able to prove it. And you know what? If somebody wants to pony up a couple hundred grand, since I have a decent reputation, I would do it in a second and film everything I possibly could and be like, here's what I saw. Yeah, well, I will. I, I must say, Jason, the official position of We Talk About Dead People is Minecraft Earth, okay? So we don't believe in flat Earth. We believe in a, in a digitally repeating meme world over here. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, uh, George, you know your camera's on, right? I do. I You're do. the only one. Yeah, well, you know. <laughs> it, Hello, yeah, George, uh, I don't George. know if you even saw my message. Yeah, my Zoom crashed. That's why I was gone. I had to restart it. That's okay. We're very forgiving around here. Um, all right, well, let's just get into it then. Uh, Jason, are you ready? Yeah. Okay. As long as my level's up. I can't right? hear anyone. You sound, you sound good to me, but, oh, George, you can't hear anybody? Oh, I heard that. Okay. You gotta get you gotta get your computer to stop acting up there, buddy. Uh, it's not my computer, it's Zoom. Zoom has been a problem since they forced me to start using it in 2020. I know. I'm about to i I'm about to drop some cash on a roadcaster just so I don't have to record with Zoom. But it is what it is for now. This is how we do interviews. This is how we've done interviews since the beginning of the weird times. No, we, we used we used like Google for a little while. Hangouts. Yeah. Yeah. But they discontinued that, didn't they? Yeah, they replaced it with Google Meet. Mm. <laughs> it's like I kind of like Hangouts better. <laughs> I've I've heard other people say that. That's why I was like, yeah, that I'm pretty sure they they jacked that all up or something. Yeah, yeah. Well, <clears throat> in the interest of actually keeping this somewhat official, welcome to We Talk About Dead People, everybody. I am your host, Aaron C, and I'm here with my good friend George and our guest Jason Lindgren of Pro Triple Seven Podcast. We are honored by Jason's presence, mainly because I'm a little bit of a fanboy about Crow Triple Seven ever since I discovered it in 2018. I found it because I was looking for weird conspiracy shit, and what I discovered on the show was way more substantial. Uh, I can't think of a person I'd be more interested in talking to than Jason uh, about the topic we're going to cover today, because I've watched this guy research the shit out of, like, everything for at least three years. So, Jason, welcome to We Talk About Dead People. Well, hello and thank you. I'm I'm honored and uh, and flattered. Thank you. Oh yes. Well, I mean, it's like I I was saying, like 
I haven't listened to a podcast that's quite as well researched as Crow Triple Seven, and I've been looking for a while. And there's nobody who really gets to the core of things quite like you two do. And I'm not here to just kiss ass. I'm just saying it's impressive when you compare it to the quality of the stuff out there that pretends to be doing research and stuff like that. Well, that's what we endeavor to do. That's our thing. It, it, there, There is a lot. When you start talking about things that sound really out there and you come to the table with nothing or next to nothing or just repeating other people, well, that's, in my opinion, and, and Crows as well, I believe, that's an issue. If you're going to talk about some out there stuff, you better bring some receipts. And that's what we try to do our best. Now, if it's something that's conjecture and we, we are just saying, hey, this is our opinions or we think that it might be this way, we try our best to make sure that people understand that's what it is. But with a lot of these topics, and we've done, we're pushing to four, 500 episodes now, a lot of the stuff, yeah, I research the heck out of it, and I write notes, and Crow is just like a voracious read, just constantly reading books, usually several at a time, and then I present the notes, and I read them out, and then we have a discussion back and forth on the points, and that's how we do the show most of the time. Now, when we have guests, sometimes it's a little different. It's their approach, their opinion, but uh, there you go. That's how we do the show. Well, I know George probably has no idea who you are because we don't listen well, to the same kind I can, of things. I can presume certain things. Uh, I'm imagining some Swedish background based on the name. Well, actually, that's completely correct, but not true biologically. <laughs> Lindgren is my father's stepfather's name. He was legally adopted ah. uh, by Mr. Lindgren was his mother's uh i i don't know if it was her second husband but a lot of them passed away when i was young so i don't know the entire history my actual biological background paternally was italian from what i've been told but i never got enough information before those folks were gone i was gonna i was gonna say this is an exciting moment i think this was the first time we'd had a swede on the show <laughs> <laughs> no, i'm a chickabola hunger russian you know i'm just lots of things mishmashed together well, there, there goes the diversity angle we were going to use to market this. <laughs> I'm very diverse. What are you talking about? <laughs> it takes all kinds. And, you know, it's so funny. Like, people started getting into their ancestry with all those DNA tests a few years ago. And I was never tempted. I was like, you know what? <clears throat> I know that there's some some white people on this side of the family and there's some white people on that side of the family. And you know what? <laughs> I'm just proud to be from a coal mining town or at least my grandfather and my great grandfather was coal miners and all that good oh, stuff. Oh, you too? Yeah. <laughs> and, oh, do all three of us come from coal mining families? Oh, well, no. I do. Yeah. I'm originally from uh, Northeastern Pennsylvania. Uh, ah, uh, yeah. The blue anthracite that they strip mine the hell out of the entire Wyoming Valley where I was born and raised. I live in Louisiana yep. now, but uh, yep. yeah, that's, my, that's... my family's from central Pennsylvania. My, uh, my dad was a, my dad worked his way through college as a coal miner during the summers. Wow. Yeah. My grandfather, when I'd be driving around with him when I was a kid, he'd be like, oh, there's a breaker back there. And they used to do this and do that. And that's what he did when he was younger until he got into construction. Well, I think we've officially destroyed our legitimacy as a diverse podcast. Uh, wouldn't you say, George? <laughs> <laughs> we need representation from non-coal mining voices. That's true. <laughs> Forget about equity and inclusion. These things are so important. You know, let since we're not being PC, why did they have to name diversity, equity, and inclusion? Why did they have to spell it D-E-I, Jason? Honestly. <laughs> like, 
well, like this is your god real, now. Real opinion on this crap because it, in my opinion, and and it's pretty verifiable at this point. While it seems really nice on the surface that hey, we should be open inclusive to everybody everywhere. That's cool, and I don't think most level-headed people give a flip about any. I mean, this is the 21st century. I don't think anybody particularly cares what what sex you are, what your sexual preferences are, what color your skin is. Most people don't give a crap. And the few who are still hung up on it, they're jerk offs anyway. And those kinds of people are just going to end up dying off eventually. People don't care about that stuff. The politicization of all that, if I'm saying that word correctly, there's ulterior motives there, but that's not what we're here to talk about today. But it's not hard to see that there's ulterior motives in manipulating society when they start shoving the stuff down your throat. I'm looking at you, Disney. Uh, and yet, in a way, Jason, it is what we're here to talk about, because the propaganda explosion of 2020, um, it was so bad. I, uh, I, I I didn't even know what to say, because in my background, I was trying to explain like to my parents, stay calm. The media is having a feeding frenzy. Please <laughs> do not watch 24 seven and nothing I could do could stop them. And you know, my poor grandma passed away during the whole thing, sitting in front of Fox News, and that's just the saddest image I have in my head. But uh, it's like all of these pushes can only happen uh, if we've figured out how to hack the human mind effectively, which I think they've they've rather well done. One of the things we did early on in the pandemic, uh, after I got over the initial shock, I was like literally in my bed staring at the ceiling like, I cannot believe this is happening. <laughs> um. We did an episode on Donald Ewan Cameron and MK Ultra, and I think that was that's my... not conspiracy though. That's the no, thing. No, that's, that's some crazy conspiracy stuff. A lot of that stuff is declassified. God only knows what's not declassified. That's the part that worries me. Right, right, and we can only speculate all day long. But what we do know is that there are uh, techniques for controlling and manipulating people and scaring the hell out of them, which are well documented. And uh, one of the books that I picked up early on. Uh, inspired by your show was Propaganda by Edward Bernays. And I was so blown away by it because it's literally like a wizard revealing how he does his tricks. Um, in fact, it was charitable. I was texting George at the time. I'm like, dude, this is like how they work. This is a total like hacker's handbook. Um, because it what it, what blew my mind was how simple it all was. Mm -hmm. And what's so what's your impress, impression of Edward Bernays then? I mean, I've I've heard it on your show, but I'd just like to get it from the horse's mouth. So without getting into specifics here, what Edward Bernays figured out how to do was to sell you a concept, whether it's a product or a campaign, whatever it happens to be. He figured out that if you tie whatever it is you're trying to push to an emotion, that is how you get the human to bite. That's the most simple way I can explain it. And there are so many examples of this that we can go into. Bernays is kind of considered the, the godfather, grandfather, whatever you want to say, of, of advertising. And uh, propaganda is, is, is a dirty word, which is why they changed it to um, public relations. <laughs> they, started, mm -hmm. they came up with a different word because propaganda sounded so warlike and, and the enemy and all that. So I'm turning on my video so you can see me listening intently. <laughs> um, <laughs> so yeah, that's exactly it. Right. So they reframe propaganda as being public relations and we call that PR for short, of course. And every company has one of these now. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh, yes. I mean, yeah. In the early days, when we're talking like early 20th century, th these things didn't exist. 
So Bernays figured a lot of this stuff out in uh, World War One. It was how he served. He he physically wasn't uh, the most. He, he was kind of a short guy, and I guess he was flat footed. I forget exactly what was wrong with like he couldn't pass the physical part of it. I, I'm I'm forgetting what exactly it was, but he wanted to serve and he ended up just being part of um, information tactics is, uh, I guess, one way you could put it. And then after the war, he started uh, funneling that into the mainstream and he set up his public relations office with uh, the woman who he would go on to marry. And she actually contributed a lot more than a lot of people realize, like it's attributed to Edward Bernays, but uh, Doris Fleischman, his uh, wife-to-be, she actually helped with a lot of it. They were very much a team. And I, I like to give credit to Doris because a lot of folks don't even realize it wasn't just Bernays 100%. A lot of, a lot of times that's what happens when you're talking so many years removed now because he passed away in the 90s. So yeah, he, he did spearhead all this. He's the double nephew of Sigmund Freud, who of course came up with a lot of the early stuff on psychotherapy and, and, and hacking the human mind in, in so many ways. And he took all of that stuff from Uncle Ziggy and he started uh, applying it to how can I sell whatever it is, like whatever he got hired to do, he was taking all of these concepts that were new at the time and funneling it into whatever it happened to be, whether it was selling bacon or whatever. I mean, pick one. He did so many things. He he literally manipulated people in such a huge way. And what he uh, figured out early on was you get the press on your side. Now, obviously, this is way pre-internet, but he knew to get the media on his side. And by planting stories, and a lot of times that's what he would do, he was able to uh, to steer the public consciousness in the direction that he wanted it. And he he wasn't always successful, but he was frequently and almost successful most of the time. It was there were just a couple things later in his life where he he started kind of making mistakes in my opinion with uh, the United Fruit Company and getting involved with political stuff that he probably should have just stayed out of. But his earlier stuff, the first couple decades, good gravy. Oh just yeah, very very impressive with what he pulled off. Well, and as a as a professional, <laughs> I mean, you look at it and you're like, this guy was a genius, or he was playing inside baseball or whatever. I mean, either way, he was well connected enough to be learning these techniques and inventing these techniques pretty strongly. Um, I, I had to pull up a picture. I took a screenshot from Twitter yesterday. God forbid I ever go there again, but, and actually George knows this. I stopped using Twitter the day they started deciding that we were in a pandemic. Um, Cause I couldn't take it. I could not take the normie screeching about it. I was like, I just, Oh, I can't look at this, but something right. happened there, by the way, again, um, I, and I don't understand why, but, Twitter was until Uncle Elon bought it was super left leaning politically. And for whatever reason, people who leaned in that political spectrum seemed to bite onto the, the propaganda of whatever this pandemic was or wasn't. But they were just super hardcore about it, like mask everybody, force vaccinate everybody like they they just bid on and still to this day aren't letting go. There's still people who are very much of that political leaning, not saying that there aren't people on the other side that that aren't into it, but. I noticed heavily, for whatever reason, the left side of politics really were into that. And I just wonder, again, is this more political manipulation uh, with the propaganda? Oh, for sure. Well, I think I think my initial reaction there would be that the left wings, the so-called left wing side of things, uh, they do 
they do operate more in rhetoric than dialectic, right? So they they create campaigns that are based on emotions, strong emotions, um, usually anger uh, of some kind at something about something. Um, and yeah, so like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then the, the emotional programming behind COVID was so interesting because it was like hashtag all in this or in this together or safer alone. Um, or, well, uh, they did it from two ways. They did that. That was one emotional aspect of it. And then of course, the one of the most powerful emotions to prey on, which they did immensely is fear. And oh yeah, God, did they use that effectively. I took a picture of uh, at my local supermarket. There was a big poster on the front. I sent it to you, George. Of course, George is like my best friend. I sent him everything funny I find. But it just had this big green guy surrounded by these floating viruses in a mask. And his eyes are like bugging out of his head, right? Oh, my God. And it says in all caps, by order of Governor Pritzker, this location will not accept more than two people in one. It was like. It was crazy. I was like, I feel like I'm in a freaking like science fiction movie. And it's like, that's what it to... reminded me of how many yeah. like B flicks from the nineties <laughs> dystopian kind of like everybody's walking around masks and all that. And I never did that. And I was like, you people buy anything. Yeah. I, I cannot believe it. <laughs> First of all, brain cells should, should be firing here that those stupid masks don't do jack. I mean, let's just start with that. The only time those things are effective is in like an operating room environment where you're trying not to get spit into an open wound. Like that's what they're meant for. <laughs> Walking around 24 seven with a mask on your face is, I, I, I mean, it's almost over. You still see about maybe 10% of people doing it. It's usually older folks too. And I understand they're, they're terrified. They just don't know. And obviously they're the more vulnerable of our population in general so i get it but oh my god i just can't believe my, my favorite still is the masking while you're driving your car along. by yourself <laughs> by I, yourself i love that yep. i love that like who are you protecting yourself against and then there's the the other propaganda side of that where they're like your mask protects me my mask protects you it's like it's not yeah. really how it works no. <laughs> I, a friend of mine was um he didn't take it super seriously. He wasn't sort of too into dissecting and figuring out. He was just sort of a, a normal, a relatively normal person. And he texted me. He was walking home from work and he just sort of hadn't forgotten to take his mask off. So he was just walking on the sidewalk with his mask home from work alone. And he said a car rolled down its window and yelled at him, Why the hell are you wearing a mask, you retard? And then he thought about and then that he thought me. about it. Thought that about was it. Me. it was I like, did that. It was like yeah, why do why am I? He's he pretty much just stopped wearing a mask after that. So it just like <laughs> triggered something. <laughs> oh, that's too funny. Now to tie this back to Bernays, though, the techniques that he got so good at using were absolutely massively effectively used with COVID. COVID is a great modern example of using the Bernays techniques. So they sold it to everybody pretty much all over the world that there was this deadly thing that was gonna wipe out millions of people. And I'm not kidding. If you look at the, maybe people don't even, don't even remember this at this point, they were saying millions and millions of deaths early on. And I was like, no freaking way. No way. If that was true, either somebody invented something in a bio lab that is so deadly that, uh, <laughs> that it got out. But we know that's not true because if that happened, you would have seen like some serious shit. No, That's Jason, crazy. I have to correct. I have to stop you because it wasn't millions and millions. It was 333 million people that were going to die, right? 
And then well, it was, thir- the numbers 30, changed. It was 33 million people who lost their jobs in one day. And then it was like 666 people like got fired for not taking the, I mean, did you see that aspect of the programming too? Cause I know I was texting George, like a crazy person, like they're using 33s and 66s everywhere. Well, the bad guys do like their little, their little numbers and symbols and all that. And uh, for anybody who doesn't know what I'm really on about numbers and symbols meet, don't mean anything. It's always the intent behind them. And I'm not going to uh, talk about anybody's religious beliefs or spiritual beliefs or anything like that. But the bad guys of this world, they are into certain belief systems, if you want to just call them that. And they will use certain numbers and systems uh, to manipulate us, bottom line. And sometimes it's it's almost like an, an elite virtue signaling when you see them putting this stuff out there. And there's this concept that a lot of people talk about called revelation of the method that they have to tell us. They, they it's, the, the speculation is that it's a karmic thing that they have to tell us what they're going to do to us. And if you have eyes to see and ears to hear that you'll be able to figure it out. And it's really not that hard to figure out once you start looking at it all. Like the, the fact that, that they were telling us however many zillions of people were going to die to me, that was preposterous. If this thing, whatever this thing was, was that bad you would have seen a much different response i mean you, you've seen movies where they just break out the hazmat suits and everyone's just going bonkers and like yeah it, telling you to stand six feet apart and put a diaper on your face is not the answer to a massively uh contagious thing it that that to me was nothing but manipulation in my opinion for sure i mean the whole thing was like so uh laden with emotional messaging magic talk um i think the one thing that really got me and that maybe you'll get a kick out of this i'm sure you noticed it too i mean because i feel like uh i feel like you, this is the kind of thing you would notice was that for about like three months they were having the mask debate remember that and you would see mask debate mask debate mask debate and that to Early me sounds on. like yeah like word magic right it's yeah. like just jack yourself off, you stupid idiot. Um, just, just like, and it, and it's, it was so crazy because it. I guess, I guess it sounds kind of gross, and I apologize, but the masturbatory nature, the almost autoerotic nature of talking back and forth about whether or not they were effective, <laughs> was. I mean, it was like right there in your face, and then on the news, masturbate, 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 and it's like, what the, what the fuck is going on here? <laughs> like, <laughs> Well, yeah, and they flip off too. I'm going to need to make another cup of coffee. All right. <laughs> I, I see where I see how we're going here. This okay. is, is going to be a two coffee kind of kind of interview. All right, <laughs> get on it. Yes, <laughs> my. All right. Um. So let me read you this tweet I saw yesterday because we were talking about it and I got off track. But um, I be, I read this tweet and I was like, oh, interesting. So it goes like this: The enemy is seeking to dominate minds. Dominating minds is much more valuable than dominating countries. If they take over the minds of a nation, that nation will gladly hand over its country to the enemy. That's why minds must be protected. Underneath that, the top comment is, why are you the enemy of Iranian women? Because <laughs> it came from Khamenei. <laughs> uh, oh, my God. Underscore Iran. But I was like, I saw that tweet. And I'm like, that's exactly what I thought halfway through. I started reading, uh, was it sixth generation, fifth generation warfare? No, unrestricted warfare. Have you ever read that? I haven't, no. Okay, it's by but this. I think I know where you're going. Yeah, it's by this Chinese uh, military expert, or these Chinese military experts it came out in the 90s. And it's all about, like, if you can convince a nation to hate itself and, and uh, 
that they're wor- they're terrible and you can brainwash them enough, you don't have to fire a shot. And I'm not sitting here blaming the Chinese. I'm just saying, well, they're damn right. Because if you can convince everyone that the place you live is a horrible, terrible place, uh, why wouldn't you just hand it over to the bad guys, right? Well, and, and there's also the opposite. No matter what uh, you're trying to push on a population, if you get 80% of them believing something, they'll they'll get behind you. Uh, I don't know how if this is too sensitive to bring up, but I mean, look at stuff post 9-11. Mm. Why did the United States attack Iraq post 9-11? Doesn't make much sense, does it? What what did Iraq have to do with all the things that we were told were the reasons behind those events? And it's like, as soon as you just look at that, you're like, um, what's the answer? Come on, tell me what the answer is. Why, why were you okay with your country, and this is our country, going to not technically war because we actually have never been in, here's a fact a lot of people don't realize. We've, as the United States, have not been in a war since World War II. War has to be declared by Congress. So World War II was the actual, the actual last war that the United States was involved in. This is how propaganda works. They, they call it the Korean War, the Vietnam War. Those weren't wars. Call them whatever you want to call them. They were armed conflicts, but they were not a war. But they're sold to you like it's a war. So again, they call it uh, the Desert Storm and, and the Iraq War and all that, and they weren't wars. They were, the United States sent military in and did what they did. <laughs> Talk kinetic, about propaganda. <laughs> kinetic yeah. military actions. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that was my, fav- my favorite phrase Obama ever said was kinetic military actions. That's pretty good. That's like lucrative money deal. You remember that one? <laughs> <laughs> do you know that, uh, do you remember that on September 10th, Donald Rumsfeld said they were missing over $2 trillion out of the uh, the budgets. And then September 11th, 2001 happens. And all of a sudden that didn't matter anymore. Oh yeah. Cause you know, a, a plane hit the building. It was definitely a plane, not something else. But, and then definitely. Uh, <laughs> That's see, this is where we're getting with our show. So we've been we've been trying to be facts based and funny for like five years now. And it's been more funny than facts based. I'll say that. But the way it's <laughs> the way it's been going is like now we're looking at history and it's like, OK, so what what the hell is real? And I so I teach a course actually on uh, alternative media. And I, I felt so bad because I was like, I realized about an hour into the first section, I was I was red pilling people way too fast about how media works. And I saw this this elderly gentleman sort of lean back in his chair and he's getting like really, really agitated. And he goes, so Aaron, how do we know what the truth is? Mm. And I was like, I didn't really have an answer for him. I was like, well, it is tough. Yeah. That gentleman had the right frame of mind to ask that question, in my opinion. Like, yeah, it is really hard to discern. It truly is. That's why we're so... Uh, hell-bent on our show to make sure that we we try our best to fact-check it. Now, it's fact-checking as far as what we can get our hands on, and we say that all the time. We can only work with whatever we can get our hands on. Are things put into uh, the history books or whatever documents we can get our hands on or whatever happens to be that actually aren't true? Sure, I can accept that as a possibility, but we work with, with what we've got to work with. Uh, and it's often said that history is a lie agreed upon. And there's a quote from Napoleon that I don't remember word for word, but it was that general notion. The victors can write whatever they want in the history books. Yeah. And I think I've seen that quote attributed to everyone from Napoleon to Hitler to Goebbels to, I mean, across oh, the board. Goebbels. There, there's one. He, yeah. he Bernays techniques. Uh, oh, yeah. 
and ran with them. And Bernays didn't like that because he was Jewish and he knew what was, uh, I don't think he knew everything that was coming at that point in the 30s, but he saw the way they were acting. So you can imagine somebody who is such a propaganda master like Goebbels taking this approach that uh, Bernays was really good at by the time the Nazis came to power. Mm. Uh, just, wow, what could you do with that? with that kind of military force behind you that it's just just scary and yeah they use the techniques he had Bernays book on his desk and was using it they tried to hire him like it's it's written in the history records that they wanted to hire him and he said no freaking way hmm. that's interesting I did not actually know that part of it I've actually I've read some of Goebbels' stuff and it, it's like one of the things about it is once you understand that there's a class of people um or a category of people that are basically, you know, PR people and their whole job is to manipulate you and basically put you on like a theme park ride for what they want you to do. Uh, once you've seen that, you can't unsee it. You know, it's like you've, you've seen, okay, I'll put it to you this way. So <laughs> I don't remember what theme park it is in Florida that has, but you know what rock and roller coaster is? I've heard of it. Okay. So it's an, it's a neon light lit roller coaster that's indoors. Um, and uh, you're basically supposed to feel like you're going through like almost like an 80s sort of neon light trip while you're on this roller coaster. And Aerosmith plays. And Aerosmith plays. <laughs> that was actually, that was the first roller coaster I ever went on. Okay, so I, I only went on it once. And the first time I went on it, halfway through, none of the lights were working. <laughs> and then about, about, you know, 20 seconds before the ride was over, all the house lights came up. And I saw what rock and roller coaster looks like without the neon lights. And I saw that it was just a giant track with a bunch of effects in a big room. <laughs> that is great allegory. Yeah. Well, that's that exactly what it allegory. feels like. It's what it feels like when you understand how media works. Everybody else who's been on rock and roller coaster, they have a different experience in their mind. But you are the, you know, you're the puppet master when you understand how this works, right? Right. And now that we're in a digital age where so much is integrated, first of all, very few corporations, uh, as far as mainstream is concerned, own the majority of the media that's put out there, whatever format you want to talk about. So that's one aspect of it. So that's a top down thing. They're always consolidating. You're always seeing one thing gob trying to gobble up the next. There's talk now of Apple possibly looking at Disney. It's like, oh, my God, <laughs> I talk about two conglomerates coming together if something like that went down. But that's one aspect of it. Then there's the fact that everything is digitally intertwined. So for instance, if you have an ABC station, some little ding, ding dong station in your little podunk town, well, because of the fact that's ABC, they're getting their orders from the top down. So all these little ding dong stations are getting their orders from the top down. But it's even more insidious than that because there's these organizations called, uh, the biggest one that I know of is PR Newswire. We actually had an insider tell us how this stuff works. There's another one called Business Wire, and there's some other smaller ones. And what it is, is the, these big uh, news multimedia companies, they take their services and they have ready-made-to-go packages, whether it's a, a video thing that's already put together for them or just the script. And you've probably seen, a, a lot of people might have actually seen these videos where it's like verbatim a script being read by all your little podunk yeah. local stations. It's the same identical. That That's not by accident. That's things like PR Newswire. It's because mm -hmm. the the, pro, the uh, overarching company is 
buying into the service and then that's going out to everybody else. It's a top down thing. That's why those things are happening. So whatever the story is they want to push, the only time you're going to get anything different on a local level is like stupid crap. Like, Oh, we want to go see the bunnies for Easter and stuff like that. Sure. Uh, that's, that's going to be unique, but the big, big, big stuff. Uh, uh. And this is not conspiracy theory. Again, this isn't conspiracy theory. Go look it up. You'll find it. George, were you going to say something? Uh, I was, but I've already, already forgotten what I was going to say, but I have something else to say, which is, yeah, that that's sort of the, the stories that don't matter. I've always found it very interesting that, I think what they usually group them under is they call them human interest pieces. It's like, oh, yeah. Yeah. and why, why, why isn't the actual important stuff of interest to humans? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Actually, I, I want to share a video here. You got to let me know if the sound isn't working, but this is how the news works right here. What you were talking about with those packages, right? They can make things up whole cloth um, with like archival footage and stuff. So, this is when the onion was still good. And now in a desperate attempt to fill 24 hours of programming, here's some bullshit that happened somewhere today. We've got some footage here of the bullshit, which began just after 3 o'clock this afternoon, when residents in this neighborhood were shocked to see this fairly common thing happening. An attractive witness described the event in breathless terms. I went to my window and I was like, whoa, there's some bullshit happening. That happened right over there. I'm an older man, so you can trust what I say. Authorities <laughs> in special uniforms rushed to the scene to stand around while our cameras filmed them. Our reporter Keith Collins joins us now live from the scene of the bullshit through the use of expensive technology. Good to be with you again, Keith. We have a, a colorful graphic here that shows instances of bullshit like this are on the rise. <laughs> is that right? Yes, although why is unclear. Some say it's because of one fucking reason. Others say it's because of some other fucking reason. I talked to this random expert on the subject who told me this thing you're about to hear him say right after he points at a piece of paper. I spent my entire life attending the nation's most prestigious schools to talk about bullshit like this. I'm really just happy to be on TV. Now let's see if we can drag this out a little longer by showing emails written by some of our viewers. I once saw some stuff kind of like the shit you're talking about happen. I have nothing more to add. Another person says, I am angry that things like this happen. I get mad about every bullshit thing I see. So obviously a lot of opinions there to make this story seem somewhat meaningful. Oh, absolutely, Glenn. This bullshit has some broader implications. Here's a list of tips on how to avoid bullshit happening to you. And here's some footage of Congress. Yes, I see that. <laughs> well, thank you, Keith. Uh, let us know if there are any updates on this bullshit story from there. There's no All right, that's enough of that. But bingo! Exactly <laughs> how it works in real life. Right? That's it. Ugh. They nailed it in like what less than five minutes. <laughs> yeah, and that was before they were. That was before they were co-opted by some other god-forsaken bullshit. Oh, company. they must have been hitting cl too close to the mark. <laughs> they were. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just like when you try to explain to people that it is just that stupid, they they reject it. They're like, I don't know about that, and you know, I'm just gonna go back. And like I was talking to, you know, who Miguel Connor well, the sports is. ball is on. That's important. Yeah, you know Miguel Connor, right? Name sounds familiar, but go ahead okay. and tell me. He, he runs Aeon Byte. It's a Gnostic podcast. Um, we were talking to him, and I was, I lost my train of thought. I think that's going to be our first edit right there. Um, why did I bring him up? Well, we oh, just wow. watched the, uh, the, the news clip, the bullshit. <laughs> the bullshit. Yeah. We just watched the bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> um, nah, I forgot it. I lost it. Sorry. 
Um, it, it happens. It happens. Uh, the 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 media zapped me from afar and made me forget. So it's, it's the giant uh, wasps under the uh, under the Pentagon. You know, that's another one. The giant freaking bees. They pulled that one halfway out ha- out halfway through the thing and. I laughed about that when I was like, you got to be kidding me. I mean, that's just like playing on fear to an extreme level. It's like, really? What what do they call them? Like death hornets or something stupid like that? Murder hornets. Murder hornets. It shows you how like how effective it was on me. I couldn't even remember the stupid name. Yeah. Well, to speaking of of how stupid it is, here's a good example of how it actually also works is like my mom came to me and she's like, you got to watch out for those murder hornets out there. And I'm like, mom, it's, (laughs) it's it's nonsense. She's like, Aaron, you don't understand. They found they found a guy dead and he had bees in his lungs. Really? And I was like, okay, so that's another aspect of this. The more grotesque it is, the more it sticks with some people, right? Because it's too over the top and they just like, well, they would never say something like that if it wasn't true. Exactly. Here's one of the big problems with all this stuff. And, and the bad guys, in my opinion, have figured this out. Most people, while they might be a little self-centered and selfish, for the most part, most humans are decent. They're not, they're not bad, right? I think most people could agree on that. And because they're not really bad people, they can't fathom that there are people in this world who would do really bad shit. I mean, that's the bottom line. And I'm sorry to tell you, but yes, there are bad people in this world. It's just the way it is. And they've been working on becoming as bad as they can for quite a while now. Well, they've uh, got their own programs running what like whatever their self-interest is and mm-hmm. I, you know when i've had these discussions for instance with my my significant other's father who's a, a very nice man very level-headed very intelligent extremely successful as far as his uh, business dealings and all that and it's just he doesn't buy into a lot of the the more conspiratorial conspiratorial side of things but it's like why is it so hard to believe that people with extreme money and power would collude with other people with extreme money and power to keep their money and power. Like that is not hard for me to believe. I think I've said this before on my show that the thing that got me to start actually looking into stuff was the condition of the streets. I just realized that I-65 hadn't had been under construction for my entire life. And <laughs> I had, I realized I was in Austin at the time. And I went over a really bad pothole, and I'm like, why is that there? Don't we have money that's supposed to take care of this? Like, this is a rich city. Like, we've got money. Why are we all driving on potholes? Why can't we fix this? And then that, it just clicked. It's like, because they don't want to fix it. And it was yeah. like, ah, okay. And then from there, I just, I discovered Crow 777 and have never been the same. <laughs> <laughs> it happened around the same time, by the way. Um, it well, was- it's, it's, you started using deductive reasoning. It's like, so logically this should be able to be fixed you know this isn't 1890 where we're digging ditches for things no this is the modern era this there should be able to uh be more effective things going on like they should be able to send out a team of workers fill in a couple of potholes and the next day it's dried and it's fine you can drive on it yeah because you see people getting pissed off in local neighborhoods where they're like screw this the council or whatever it is, the local folks aren't doing jack about this, so we go out and do it. And then it's fine. So why aren't they doing it? And this is not an uncommon thing. You just see this over and over and over again. So you know that there's some kind of weird intention behind all this. Take right. that and then multiply it a zillion times over and on bigger scales, and you see why the world is the way it is. Like 
if we had a perfect utopia, things wouldn't uh, be as controllable because you wouldn't have a need for people to control things as much. So why is it, why do you think, Jason, is it, why do they do the the humiliation stuff? Why do they want us to eat the bugs? Yeah, humiliation, that's funny. Uh, I personally feel, and this is based off of their own documented statements, that they are hell-bent on reducing population. I'm talking about like the top-tier bad guys here, whatever you want to call them. And this is, again, not not me just pulling stuff out of my butt or, or reading crazy conspiracy stuff from a, a website that came out in 1996. This is out of their own mouth. And I'm talking about people like the great example, uh, Klaus Schwab from the World Economic Forum. Go on their website. They've got papers you can read about what they suggest. And uh, they, in no uncertain terms, they tell you that, no, you're the problem. Mm. That's how they're, they're manipulating everything. They're, they're convincing people that you're the problem and therefore we're the smart ones. We'll, we'll tell you how to handle this stuff. And they, for a very, very long time, you can go back decades and decades to earlier, if you want to call them elites, you know, the, the, the bankster families, whatever you want to call them. They've made it very plain and clear that they think there are too many people in this world. And hmm. that I think is the whole basis of all this they want to reduce the population because the one thing that we've got over anybody who's trying to control things is that we outnumber them a zillion to one and that terrifies them the big mistake came uh, in my opinion with the baby boom generation they had just pulled off world war ii and it never even occurred to these mega geniuses <laughs> that are pulling the strings behind the scenes that all these these good old boys that went over and fought this horrible thing and came back that they'd want to settle down with it with a girl and have kids. And they did it in droves. And we have the baby boom generation. No one, and this is not conspiracy. This is what happened. We saw people having three, four, five, six kids to their families. And this absolutely flooded, especially the United States, with children in a way that hadn't been seen in decades since the agricultural times when people would have many kids to help run the farm and all that, but people also died in childhood a lot more in, in uh, usually under fives, you'd have some deaths. So people had a lot of kids to try and keep the family going. That's the old world. And then we have the more modern 20th century forward. And these genius elites never saw this coming because they don't think about things like this. So you get up to the sixties when those baby boomer kids are now teenagers and in their twenties and they're like, we need to do something about this. So what did they do? They concocted the counterculture uh, movement. And if this is, again, not conspiracy. You can look where all this stuff came from. There, there it was not an organic movement for the counterculture. It, again, was put out there and manipulated by certain people that were, uh, that were used as players. A lot of these 60s musicians, uh, a lot of it actually originated not in San Francisco, like a lot of people think, but actually in uh, the Laurel Canyon area of Los Angeles. And it just so happens that at a time before the internet, that a whole pile of people who will go on to be mega rock stars, the, some of the biggest of the 60s and 70s, all went to one place to live where there just happened to be, and again, not conspiracy theory, you can look this up, a place called Lookout Mountain existed that was a military base that did 
a lot of propaganda films and where they processed the so-called uh, nuclear footage and all that at this place. And this is all stuff that's mainstream. You just have to know to look it up in the first place. Yeah. Well, that is one of the, my favorite series you guys ever did um, with Crow Triple Seven was uh, The Decades. Because most of us just simply weren't there. Like, I remember the 90s and that's it. And then everything since since 2000 has just been kind of like a mishmash of everything. It's like we get like throwbacks and things like that. But nothing is defined as the 60s, 70s, and 80s, and even the 50s, right? Um, the 90s, in my opinion, was the last. After that, they started recycling. It's like grunge and and that whole kind of new punk that they did. Grunge was basically the punk kind of recycled, in my opinion. And you, and you can kind of tell when you listen to Nirvana and stuff like that, where they're only using three, three or four chords. And it's kind of noisy, thick distortion. It's very punk-like. I, I don't see anything really new after that. Like after, post-2000, I mean, you could look at clothes from 20 years ago. 20 years ago would be 2002. Eh, if somebody was plucked out of time and dropped down today, I don't think they'd really look out of place, do you? But if you plucked them out of 1968 out of San Francisco and at the Haight-Ashbury, they'd probably look pretty funny. Yeah. Like it's very defined. You would know that. So what is that? Is that part of, is this all part of the humiliation aspect? Well, it's, there's definitely, there definitely seems to be some kind of design to it, I guess you could say, because like literally you could see gears being changed from one decade to the next. Like I always point out the sixties to the seventies. And then the 70s to the 80s, like it's very, now I lived through these. I, I was born in 1973. So I can look back in my memory to when things, even though I was young, I can still remember like going from the 70s to the 80s, but let's take the 60s to the 70s. So especially the latter half of the 60s, everything was garish colors, very bright. Like think of the old Star Trek, everything was bright and it was the hippie era. It was that. Well, just that look, at the, look at the cars, look at a picture of an American street or highway in the 60s. Uh, and you just have a huge array of colors, whereas whatever's going on now, you look at a street now and everything is like either very homogenized or white mm -hmm. or black or some sort of very muted color. Yeah. But here's the thing. So that's the 60s. You switch the gear into the 70s and all of a sudden everything looks very different, even uh, the media being put out. Now, I'm into film and stuff like that, so I know a good bit about uh, how things are produced and all that. And, but even if you're not, look at like the way Star Trek looks. Star Trek was produced uh, 65 up to about 68, 69-ish. And then you look at something like The Six Million Dollar Man, which is from the early 70s. Even the look of everything. Now, you would think that the technology would be better a few years later, and technically it was. But it looks grainier and sounds grittier. It's because that's what the 70s looked like. They changed the program. The 60s was bright and garish and, and colorful and all that. You get in the 70s, everything is dark and drab. Even the clothing, uh, earth tones, a lot of browns and dark, darker greens and all that. Even the houses, like look at that 70s show. They, they got the decor right. You know, kind of a muted yellows. You see all that kind of stuff. Very, very different from the 60s. But then you throw the switch again into the 80s and all of a sudden, what have you got? Neon everywhere everything's bright and all over so again through the switch what do we have in the 90s i used to call it the uh the era of burden rock and things like that where everybody's whining about their problems like the 80s was the party but the 90s everything sucks everything sucks everything's dark and drab and my mom and my dad didn't pay attention to me and they didn't love me and blah, blah 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 you can see it when you start breaking it down the reason why we do things with the decades on the show is because when you look at it in this context 
you can see like, holy shit, that's, that's true. Like mm. these decades are very defined, but like we were saying post nine 11, it's kind of like, everything's kind of meh, just kind of yeah. a mishmash. Like you see bands, for instance, coming out where, um, they might be a 60s looking kind of thing or a 70s kind of looking thing or even an 80s kind of looking thing. And it's not out of place. You know, they're just like, oh, that, they're a rock star. That's just what they're into. The clothing, the the cars you were saying, like, that's a great example. Crow and I both pointed that out many times. Like the cars, they all kind of look the same. They're all just kind of rounded-ish and they all kind of seem to have the same small group of colors. It's just, it's super homogenized. And I think uh, it's it's also worth pointing out sort of going back to what you're saying about the recycling, how they they reuse some of the same tools just to a different end now. So with the sort of the colors and the different decades, it's now, if you look at film, they use color scale to indicate a lot about how you're supposed to perceive a situation. It's like, an, it's even sort of entered the mainstream consciousness a little bit with like the memes that'll have one picture color scaled in like eight different ways. And it'll be like film set in Mexico, film set in the <laughs> Middle East, film set in Europe. And it's accurate because you, if you go back and watch a movie, it's exactly what they do. Yeah, it's really noticeable. And I, I point this one out all the time from the 60s to the 70s. Now, from a technological standpoint, what was happening um, in studios and things like that, things were going from tube based to solid state. Solid state should be a cleaner sound, like a, a less warm and thick and distorted kind of thing. Because uh, when you run tubes into tubes into tubes, you get this really big low mid thing where everything's very thick. And of course, you're going tape to tape to tape. So you're having generation loss and things like that. But you look at the old Star Trek. I always like to use that as the example because so many people are familiar with it. It looks better and sounds better than the $6 million man a few years later. Why? <laughs> I mean, having been through film school and all of that stuff, like I always ask myself the question, where did, where did we lose 10 years worth of technology and why were we okay with everything looking and sounding worse? What happened? I you think know? part of it was to make things less expensive, to make production costs less. But at the same time, so you just decided to stop shooting on better film stock? Like, I know that the original Star Trek was shot on 35 millimeter, and that's one of the reasons it looks that way. But there's plenty of things I've watched from that era. Like, you can look at I Dream of Genie or um, what was the other one? Uh, Bewitched, like all those. They all kind of have a similar look. So they were shooting on whatever, I don't remember what it is off the top of my head, but whatever quality of film stock they were shooting on, it looked very, very good. And the reason when they remaster stuff from that era, it looks so damn good is because it was shot on this high-end film. So our awesome modern digital tech can draw a lot out of that. And then it looks super crystal clear because there was so much information to work with there. But do again, do, do the same thing with 70 stuff and it just doesn't look as good. And then you get all the way down to like say Battlestar Galactica and Buck Rogers from the late 70s. And again, I, I will go back and watch some of the stuff just to kind of refresh my memory. And I just don't think it sounds as good or looks as good I'm talking about from a production standpoint as Star Trek did in the late sixties. So something happened there on a production level in the background and what was going on in the seventies? Well, we had the end of the Vietnam conflict. Uh, we had a lot of recession. We had the gas thing going on. A lot of families were starting to get broken up big time because they pushed that hardcore in the sixties. You see that they were trying to drag society in a very different direction. And in my opinion, downward. And then in the eighties, it's all back up again. So when you look at it from decade to decade, you can definitely see very, very stark differences. 
So what what are they ultimately? I mean, I know you said depopulation, but like ultimately, what do they get out of playing with their food, so to speak? Chaos for one. Mm. If you have a, a society that's just chaotic, uh, it's easier to control. It's easier to uh, to push in the direction you want because they're they're not thinking for themselves a lot of times they're being manipulated. I've thought about this too. I don't know exactly like the switching of the decades, what exactly that's for. I don't know. Like why, why did uh, they have bright colors in the sixties and not in the seventies, I guess, because it's the the look they were going for to press the narratives. That's the way I think of it. So whatever the narrative, again, like sixties was upbeat, fun, colorful seventies was dark and drab eighties, neon, colorful. Everything was, upbeat and you had corporate rock that was kind of churning out the same schlock over and over and over again. And it was kind of like the, the cocaine party that never ended, but oh, the nineties came in, everybody cut your hair off, stop wearing tight jeans and using hairspray and all the music is going to sound the same again. And three chords and distortion. And, and let's, let's sing about how terrible life is and all that. It's a, it's really obvious that they're, they're pushing narratives through the mainstream culture. That's why I actually talk about pop culture and things like that a lot, because especially in the United States, we don't have a lot of our, our culture. We don't have a ton of culture. We're not that old of a, of a place. We're only a couple hundred years old compared to many other places in the world. So the manipulation uh, kind of has to be there because the only thing they've got to work with is the pop culture stuff. So when they start doing stupid crap, like destroying all the major intellectual properties, I'm always talking about this these days because it's so noticeable. It's like they don't care anymore. We're going to take all these concepts that used to make us money and we're just going to shove our propaganda in there to such an extreme that it's you can't not notice it at this point. And I, I did a I, I do a live stream with my friend Wayne McCroy that's um, on my Rockfin, my Rockfin channel, Secrets of Saturn, where I did. 40 points that I came up with. And I was like, okay, I'll stop there. And I called it the elite or fucking stupid. And I made <laughs> 40 points. And it, it came from a very jovial laughing thing, but I don't think I was wrong. It's like they're getting sloppy or they don't care anymore. And Wayne and I both agreed. It was kind of like maybe the, the, the super elites, the banksters that we never see the, the names we don't know, maybe they're still as brilliant as, and manipulative as they ever were, but the middle management seems to be screwing things up royally. And to give a couple examples of what I mean, like there are things like if I was suddenly made dictator of the of the secretive shadowy world behind the scenes and I could push the, the chess pieces where I wanted them, there are some things that I would do to keep people fat, dumb, and happy so they're not suspecting of the greater agenda that we're doing. They're not doing those things anymore. For instance, gas prices in the United States. One, one very easy thing to... Uh, set someone off and get them thinking about what's wrong with my country is $8 a gallon gas. <laughs> what's up with that? Like we're the United States. We're the most powerful country in the world. And we produce our own gas. Just look at Texas. Why am I paying $8 a gallon? Well, you don't want the normies thinking about that stuff. That's stupid. That's why I'm saying the elite are fucking stupid. Why would you do that? You don't need the money. The money is all fake and everybody knows it. They literally just like, we want another $20 billion. Okay, money machine goes. Brrr, and all of a sudden numbers, and it's not even money. I mean, it's a, there isn't a money machine going burr, actually. That's just a, a meme joke. It's just numbers in a computer. Does anybody know how, how the money really works? Congress says, give us this. It goes to the Federal Reserve. Bonds are exchanged. And then the United States owes that money back plus interest. 
So how do you get blood from a stone? That's why we're in perpetual debt slavery. And none of this, again, is conspiracy theory. That's how it works. Very simplified, but that's how it works. So the United States is in perpetual debt slavery to the Federal Reserve, which is not federal, and it's certainly not a reserve. It's just a group of, uh, I think, 12 constituent banks, if I remember correctly, or something along those lines, that are part of the central banking system of the world. Now you see how it works from the top down. Mm. Well, I will say, like, that is one thing that really, really struck me about the COVID programming was just how fake it was. And I was thinking about money and how fake that was when I first met George. That was one of our first conversations. Um, and I'll never forget it because we both walked away. Just At least I walked away being like, I don't have no idea how any of this makes any sense or why anybody believes this. But it seems that the that the cash and the and the media run off the same thing. And, and that is belief. Enough people believe that it works or enough people believe in the story. And so it sort of pops up all around them. It's like I tell I tell people, you know, when I'm having an intense conversation about COVID, I'm like, they turned the entire United States into a movie set. They just had to send a couple pop pop up tents and some people in camo to your local clinic. And now you're in the pandemic. Way to go. Like, it and operates people on illusion. called them on that. Hmm. Like, I, 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 we did it early on. My girlfriend and I went to multiple ERs to see this terrible pandemic going on. There's nobody freaking there. Places were empty, just ghost towns. They were acting like it. Like when I went, I went to in New Orleans, there was like, they were stopping everybody at the door and, and there was like plastic everywhere. It was like, it, it literally was, like you said, a movie set. That's what yeah. it looked like. And there were lines of ambulances of, of dudes standing around doing nothing. And there were police in a line standing around doing nothing. Nobody came and went the entire time. And I went up and gave him a, a bullcrap story about uh, my girlfriend might needing to come to the ER. And I wanted to see how things were going because we heard everything was overflowing. And they said, uh, no, you could bring her because <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they were overflowing and there were no beds and everything was so horrible. No. Well, Jason, I have told the story many times on my show. Like, I feel like I was the luckiest man in the world because I worked night shift. There was no pandemic at night, um, even though I had to. Uh, I had to get a letter in case the police pulled me over after curfew. And um, I, I, when I was up at night, I was up all night and I would drive in 10 o'clock and come home at six and I didn't see a thing, not a mask, no nothing. But if I was up during the day, it was a completely different freaking world. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, that just shows you the reality of it. Did you see bodies dropping in the streets? Like were there people dying everywhere you went were there people in your family now i'm not saying nobody died ever but i can i can kind of fill in some facts there for folks if they want to hear it but no people in mass were not dropping dead like they said it was all stagecraft yeah well, what and there were deaths going on but for very different reasons right and it's like you know one my one of my favorite questions to ask is like what happened to that mass grave on long island that was visible from space or whatever <laughs> You know, it's like, and do, do people even remember the apocalyptic programming of like nature is healing as the squirrels return to the city, you know, with people not locked down and there's no more smog over this Chinese city anymore because nobody's doing anything. <laughs> I just remember being like, there's always the climate change agenda going on. You, you know, it's funny. You want to really see how much they push the, the nonsense and how the narrative changes depending upon what they need. Go look at the climate change narrative. They didn't call it climate change yet, but go look at stuff from the seventies and what they were saying was going to happen. And then how it changed in the eighties. And then look how it is today. 
they're three different narratives. In the 70s, it was the coming ice age. Uh, there was that show that Leonard, Leonard Nimoy was the host of In Search Of. Mm-hmm. And I watched it. And they were talking about this massive, in the next 20 years, massive ice age coming in. And blah, blah, blah. like, all those scientists agree, this is what's going to happen. Look what humans have done. In the <laughs> 80s, in the 80s, it was holes in the ozone layer because of your damned hairspray. Right, right. It's always your what? fault, Jason. Your why fault. are you destroying the planet, man? Yes, it's your fault because of Aquanet. And they <laughs> even made the joke in RoboCop, which was from the late 80s. You know, the, now that the ozone layer is gone, you have to put on, there was like a commercial in RoboCop, which was a very well done film for the time. There's a lot of silly little nods in there to like, we know what's up kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, I've noticed that was some of my favorite movies when I go back and watch them. I'm like, aha, I see what you were saying there, buddy. Like you're in the know, I get it. Um, that's actually I went through. Maybe you went through this phase too. But like when I when I was going to film school, I was like, oh my gosh, I want to make movies so bad. And then by the end of it, I was like, I, I never want to watch another movie ever again. And then <laughs> at the and then for a couple of years, I didn't watch movies. And whenever I saw one, and I had some friends who were like, oh my gosh, we have to go see Joker. And I was like, all right, well, maybe I'll have a beer in the theater or whatever, and that'll make everything better. But <laughs> I didn't see I didn't see a, a movie for like years. And then recently, after discovering like the kind of encoding they put in it, I love watching movies because now it's like I'm a detective just looking a fun for game. Movie. It's like a fun game, like <laughs> Twin Pines Mall turning into Lone Pine Mall and Back to the Future. What could well, it mean? <laughs> what does that mean? Good God, Back to the Future. What 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 a movie came out in 85. And of course, I was a kid then and I loved the hell out of it. The amount of encoding in that first one, especially, wow. It's unreal. Joker I mean, was good, by the way. I was kind of surprised. When I first saw the uh, the press shots coming out of it, I was like, ooh, that looks kind of eh. But uh, very, very well done on a very small budget. And because there wasn't a lot of this modern woke propaganda shoved into it, the movie made over a billion dollars on like, <laughs> I don't remember if I'm getting the number exactly correct, but it was a small budget. It was like 30 million. Or something like that. Talk about a return on investment. Yeah, for real. I mean, there was energy around that movie. And I just, I remember looking at it and being like, okay, well, like the audience is obviously like angry, young, white, right wingers or something like that. I'm like looking at it. I'm like, but I don't really, it's like, it's, it looks unpleasant. Like, I don't know if I really (laughs) watched that, but, um, no, they didn't say what time period that was in, but it felt like late seventies, early eighties to me. Exactly which was like the end of the drabness that I was speaking about. Like it kind of had that feel to it. Cause they're kind of showing like how things were breaking down a little bit. Like the, the system wouldn't help him with his medication and that this is what happens when you abandon people who are actually in need, you, they can have consequences, things like that. Like I picked up on that notion that they were pushing, uh, which is different than today where you have, just welfare out the wazoo for everything and everyone. They want to shove medications on you and that kind of thing. Not saying that everybody everywhere gets the help they need, but it seems like that was a problem then that's kind of different now. Hmm. George, Jason and I have just been going and you've just been stroking your beard. You must have some seriously deep thoughts. Oh, I wanted to circle back a little bit to what you were saying about how there was no pandemic at night. So it reminded me of how there was also no pandemic depending on where you lived. So first part of the pandemic, I was uh, still physically present at graduate school, um, spending all day in my little apartment because nothing was in person anymore. Um, 
and not seeing anyone because, well, you know how universities are. Most of the people I worked with, they literally went into their apartments and never came out. Um, I was just enjoying the fact there were no lines at the drive-thrus anymore. But um, <laughs> then when, when I when I finally said, "Why am I even still here? Now everything I have to, everything I have to do is over the computer." So I went back to the the family farm out in the rural real America. And it was amazing. There was no pandemic. I would go to my local hardware store to buy whatever. And it was just, it wasn't, nobody wore masks. It just literally wasn't a thing. And I think that's why part of the reason anyway, to what you were saying earlier about, uh, you know, eating the bugs and living in the pod, it's so much easier to spread the narrative in cities than it is through a rural environment. I completely agree with that. I think that's why they keep trying to push more and more and more to get people into big cities. And uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Owen Benjamin and his kind mm-hmm. of uh, community that they call the bears. They're, they figured that out and they're getting back to, to nature kind of thing. They, they push the concept of homesteading, like doing your own thing. You could be near a city, but don't be in the city, that kind of thing. So that uh, local communities would trade amongst themselves and all that kind of stuff, because that is one of the big control mechanisms. You're in a city, you're buying everything from the supermarket, you're getting your electricity from the local company, like all these things, you're completely under their yoke. So this community that thank goodness has figured this out, they're doing more and more and more of their own thing, even to the point where they're going really off grid. Sometimes they're even making their own electricity and have their own water and things like that. Well, that's brilliant. If you can do that, do it. It's like Neo Amish, <laughs> but not, I kind guess of, maybe yeah. not. Well, yeah, I mean, when, when sort of all your activities are tied up in a system like that, I think it becomes very, very hard to not start to adopt the ideas the system wants you to have. Um, Hmm. And it's interesting. I was thinking about the rural thing, going back to my own actual field of history. It's always been a question for people in power how to implement ideas among spread out populations. And in the old days of the Roman Empire, a big part of it was currency. That was really the one way you had, if you were a centralized power, to actually send messages to everyone in your domain. Because, you know, say you're the emperor in Rome, it's easy enough to get everyone in the major cities to hear a message you want them to hear. That's easy. How do you get a villager in Syria to know what you want him to know? And coins ended up being sort of the primary means for the dissemination of propaganda messages, because ultimately they would spread throughout the whole empire. And so, you know, you'd have, if you wanted to let people know about a a welfare program you did, which were there were a lot in ancient Rome, you would often have coins minted that showed on the back a little commemoration of the emperor giving this gift of grain to everyone because they knew the currency would eventually spread throughout the empire and give the message they wanted to people. And it's funny because you would think that like minting coinage, we obviously we have coinage that basically never changes in any meaningful way. Everyone knows it's worthless too and doesn't pay attention to it. So nobody really cares about it. But in the ancient world, it was really a lifeline for establishing sort of legitimacy and setting messages. So like we have Roman emperors who were well pretenders and usurpers who ruled for, you know, a matter of a couple months. You would think making new dyes and mints and casting new coinage is not super high on the priority list, but we have, we have coins from emperors who literally were in office for like a month. They got the coins out there with their face and their messages on them because they knew just how powerful a tool that was to reach people who they couldn't reach in the cities. What a horrifying communication. What are you going to do? You have to do something to put your foot down on everything, right? 
Yeah. And that's a really terrifying concept, attaching money to the specific type of information you disseminate, right? Kind of brings up the whole free speech question. That's half the reason I have a freaking podcast to begin with. <laughs> I mean, free speech, huh? Yeah. It's supposed to be free. What are but your thoughts on free nerdy. speech, Jason? <laughs> Again, you can see how the narrative is manipulated because every tech platform just about – now things are a little different with Uncle Elon in the past couple of weeks. But overall, not that I'm an Elon Musk fanboy, but he is he has changed things on Twitter, which was. And I always hate bringing it back to politics, but there seems to be something about modern-day politics where – like when I was growing up, I'm 49 years old, so like – while there were kind of differences between Democrats and Republicans, now I'm, I'm American, so I have to use this as the example. Yeah, there'd be differences, but it wouldn't be so over the top that it would be ridiculously different. Not that I remember growing up 80s, 90s, even the 2000s. Now there are radical stark differences between the right side of politics and the left side of politics. And for whatever reason, the left and the far left, what they call the far left, they seem to be batshit freaking crazy these days. Mm. Just if it's the most retarded thing you could possibly think of in our society, that's what the left are doing. And they used platforms like Facebook and Twitter to push whatever crazy notion that they're on about. For whatever reason, it, it just seems like tech companies are predominantly uh, infiltrated by these social justice warrior types, like these people who are not just Democrats, not just like left-leaning and those terms have definitely changed over the decades as well, because if we're if we were in the '60s, I'd probably be way more left-leaning. Today, I'm I'm very much a centrist, but I don't have a problem with some of the conservative values. But the stuff that the left pushes nowadays, I wouldn't ever go near. It's just it's over the top. Yeah, it's almost like the even calling. I mean, okay, I don't I don't mean to be like this, but I've been trying to come up with a word to describe what we're talking about here because left. It, it's not even a political ideology anymore. It's like a mental disease. And I've got le like left wing liberal friends who I've somehow managed to stay friends with throughout the years um, who also see this and they don't know what to call it. And I've been like defaulting to like NPCs, but my favorite <laughs> one I came up with was battle droids. Yeah. Um, Cause they just get the narrative and they're like, Roger, Roger, you know, shoot the Jedi. We're it is kind of like that though. Yeah. It is. It's like they're hooked up to some kind of a hive mind um, and they all think the same way. And this is one thing that I, I learned from your show and also a conversation with George is there's information and then there's ways of thinking. Um, if you think like a battle droid, you're going to pick up facts and figures and facts and figures and bang, bang, boom, boom, you know, pow, pow. I'm going to shoot the bad guys. You're operating like a robot. Learning to think dynamically is what I think Crow calls getting the safety pin out of the diaper right? Learning yeah. to think critically. It's something that George and I were blessed with, I think, because we were, we were homeschooled um, growing up. We went to college and, and these, these people who weren't homeschooled immediately just got swept up into like feminism, racism, feminism, racism. And we were just like yeah. watching them like, what are you guys doing? You're not even having fun right now. <laughs> like it's college. <laughs> You're college. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I don't get. Like they're acting like this is 1955 and every woman is under the yoke of a man. Like the, the things that they say, I'm like, where do you go that you're seeing this? And I've asked plenty of women. And unless they're like these super stark feminazi types where they just ah, like man haters, which is way too common nowadays. 
I'm just baffled. Like, are you watching Mad Men or something like that and thinking it's the modern world? Because that's not true. Like I used to work for Guitar Center. I was a manager and our HR department was. I'm offended by the term manager. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, they had wool managers. Believe me. Uh, Oh, I'm God. I'm assuming gender now. What the hell? Jason, get off my my podcast, man. We can't have that kind of talk around. Down with the patriarchy. <laughs> but it's like seriously though, like what the hell are they talking about? The the HR departments were so integrated into even a badly run company like Guitar Center, where you couldn't do anything. Like if you tried to discriminate against somebody, your ass would be grass in, a, in a five seconds. Like th- this doesn't happen in the modern world to the point that they're promoting people based off of checking. Uh, ticking check boxes as opposed to putting the best person in charge. And I saw it happen, unfortunately, too often with management. It's like, well, we got to have a woman in charge. Why? Because we have to have a woman in charge. Can't be another straight white guy who uh, did really well on the sales floor and was really good at leading his department. It's like, no, we can't do that. We have to have a woman in charge. It's that kind of mentality. So like, like you're shooting yourself in the foot to tick the checkbox. It's like, no, if the fem- if it was a female who happened to be the best at it, of course, you should be promoted over the others. But if it's the other way around, you should not be doing it because just because. Well, now you know, you're talking common sense and we can't have we can't have exactly. common sense. Exactly. And yeah. you, you see this stuff is rampant now. It's like I know that there are racist people in the world. I know that there are sexist people in the world, but no, nowhere near to the point that uh, the NPCs, as you said, like that doesn't exist in mass. As a matter of fact, it's the opposite today. To the point that uh, being a straight white male is being discriminated against just because. Mm. But you can't call it that. Or else these leftoids have a a conniption. That's what's crazy, though, dude, is like, okay, so I worked in I've worked in all kinds of different places. I worked in television. I've worked in New York City. I've worked in, you know, a warehouse like during during the pandemic. I was in a warehouse. And you know what I found in there? people generally got along great and they didn't have any problems and we didn't, there was, there wasn't like this racism stuff around that we just dealt with. And after 2020, suddenly now it was funny um, to like being, Oh, is that racist? I don't know. And like literally liberal became a pejorative. Like people be like, well, what are you a liberal? (laughs) And then they'd laugh because they're, they're making fun of it. Um, But what I found was that, while the while while the laptop Americans that stayed home all day during the thing uh, were busy tweeting and you know uh, protesting and stuff, and I mean I saw some crazy shit in Milwaukee, but uh, the normal working people were just grinning and bearing it the whole time because it seemed like they were in connection with something that was real, and the other people were living in this weird like simulation. Does that make sense? Of course it makes sense because that's kind of what they're doing. They're inventing their own problems and pretending like it's real. Mm -hmm. You can't, you're never going to convince me that in the modern era that the majority of people are racist. You can go back to the eighties where you had just major, let's just use uh, black people as an example. Like the Cosby show is one of the top shows for years, all black. And that's just one of a zillion examples. Uh, the Fresh Prince in the 90s, all these things. Uh, how many black actors are uh, like Will Smith, the, like top A-list actors for decades? No one gives a shit about the color of his skin. Well, it, it, it's just ridiculous that they think that this over-the-top racism. What about sports? 
predominantly uh, like football and basketball, especially it's more black than anything. Well, this, this, I want to take this a level higher because one of the concepts your show with Crow introduced me to is the concept of the egregore. Would you be willing to help us understand what an egregore is? So the, the real basic version is if you put energy into something and name it is, is a good way to do it. Of course, uh, you can almost create a, a, a spiritual or mental construct that is kind of sort of actually alive in its own sense. Hmm. And if you had to give us like one big example of what an egregore might be, what would that be? Uh, well, I don't want to offend anyone, but the modern interpretation of Jesus is a very huge example. Interesting that you would pick that one. Let's really well, just because so many people are Christian, and I'm not saying whether he was or wasn't real or what anyone's belief system is. I'm not talking about that. Uh, what I, all I'm talking about is in the modern day, there is a general perception of a Jesus figure, a character, if you will, that a lot of people in the billions believe in. And, and this is, so what, what that would be was that just because people believe in it, it has some sort of power. Right. If you want to get into the more spiritual aspect of it, there were people who would do experiments like uh, with Ouija boards and things like that, where they would literally create an entity to talk to. They would just put their, their mass consciousness. You might have a group of people getting together day after day and they invented Dave, the spirit, and they would call him Dave and be like, Hey, we're going to talk to Dave tonight. And, you know, they'd ask him, what's your name? And the planchette would spell out Dave. And they, okay, so Dave just became a real thing because enough people were putting energy and uh, the power of their belief, if you want to call it that, into Dave. So Dave is now a real thing to them. That doesn't mean that uh, Wuhan over in China knows about Dave and could tap into Dave. Maybe he could if he found out that Dave's a real person, supposedly. But it's that kind of concept. But Dave isn't doing anything to Wuhan over there. Right. Well, see, that's the thing is like, I, I think what we see that the, the mass media and, you know, I mean, I don't, I don't mean to just keep dragging it back to Eddie Bernays, but one of the things he talked about was basically training people and basically in training people to think a certain way so that they expect certain outcomes. Um, and so like, basically you could, if enough people believe in something, it effectively becomes real because you're caught in basically the stampede. Does that make sense? It's a yeah. really, it's a really difficult, smoky concept to explain because it is just massive illusion. Um, but you know, I remember, for example, on nine, well, might as well just talk about nine eleven. I remember on nine eleven, um, very, and I was young. You know, I was, I was what seven. Um, I remember already like getting into war mode. Even as a kid, I was like, the troops have got to go fight the bad guys. And it didn't matter who it was. It was just like, we've got to get some revenge here. You know, ladies and gentlemen, we got them. And it, it was like this, this like, and everyone around me suddenly got very like, oh, we're fight. It's like fighting the Nazis in World War II. Like we're heroes. Right. And I don't, I don't mean to denigrate any veterans because those of you who know me know I have great respect for what you do, you've done and that sort of thing. But at the same time, uh, Egregore creation is, I think, one of the most significant things that occurs in modern mainstream media. And I think Twitter was like a major hub for that kind of thing. Absolutely. 
Okay. They've got they've got uh, bad guys created and like this concept of the patriarchy. And these people really believe this. It's not that they're blowing smoke up their own ass. Like, no, they really do think that there is the man trying to keep them down. And it's just this is not 1955. That probably was true to a large degree decades and decades ago. It's not the same freaking world. But these people think it is. And again, all this racism that they come up with, I'm not saying these things don't happen. I know that they occasionally do. But it's a small, small percentage compared to overall. Now, do people sometimes get thrown off by sexual stuff? Like some people aren't comfortable around gays or, or transsexuals, things like that. Sure, I'm, I, I know that happens. But overall, people aren't hateful. Like the general population is not hateful. Yeah, they're, Like I said, I think they're a little on the selfish side. They're a little self-centered. We've been fat, dumb, and happy for a very, very long time in the Western world. So anything that kind of goes out of that, they get a little, I want to stay in my comfort zone. That's why we're so easily manipulated because we do want to stay in our comfort zone, right. which is why I, I wrote those 40 points of the elite are fucking stupid because it's like, you don't ever, in, in my opinion, if I was a big, bad controller of this world, the last thing you want to do is get general society looking up from munching their grass because they're a bunch of sheeple going, yep. Why, why is this happening? What, what, why is this going? What is going on here? Like a great example again is sports ball. They let the COVID narrative interrupt sports ball. How oh, fucking stupid can you be? So bad. A sports ball is the number one distractor of society. Mm. Yeah. Why, why would you ever, as, as one of the powers that be, why would you ever allow sports ball to be interrupted? But they did. They did during Covidius Minimus. Go, going back to the warehouse, like I remember when they started doing that, when they were like, oh, well, we're going to have sports ball games again. And up to that point, like in the break room, there was always a game playing and everybody was watching. You know, we would come through after lunch and sit there for a couple minutes and, you know, watch the score go up and that sort of thing. Sports ball, sports ball, sports ball. But then when they pulled out the cardboard people and stuck them in the stands, uh, everybody in the break room was like, this feels stupid. And the ones of us who are still watching it, we all think that person looks stupid right now for standing there in the break room, you know, with a with a treat just in front of the TV, watching people in, you know, absurd costumes throw a football back and forth in front of cardboard people while they're tackling each other on the field they're just rolling all over each other you know it's like okay. so apparently the pandemic didn't exist for the players on the field no it didn't exist they for... weren't running around with masks on staying six feet apart oh no it didn't exist for you know the people who kept food on the table you know it's like the the the, the reality of it i mean it's just like only in a world with mass and here's here's what i think jason and maybe you can push back on me a little bit but I think they, I think they've spent their wad, man. I, I think it's like it feels to me like it, it is like freaking not going to work the same way. I think, think that they, uh, they, they overstepped their balance. Now, did they get too many needle needles into arms? Unfortunately, yes. Do we, as the general public, have an accurate number? No. But we do know because I mean I'm friends with doctors. They tell us stuff hmm. all the time. We we get information from actual medical professionals like those shots are injuring and sometimes killing people it nobody just wants to say that it, though we're not allowed to exactly we're not allowed to say that so did they pull off some some nasty stuff with this whole narrative yes 
However, I personally feel that they way overstepped their bound because people like, like you and George and all them, like who maybe weren't quite as conspiratorial as say Crow and I might be, you probably realized that if you had doubts about things being manipulated on a grand scale, it was pretty freaking obvious at this point that things were being manipulated on a grand scale because your brains actually work. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, George knows day one, I was saying with bullshit. Um, but the reality is like, now that I, now that I'm looking at history, I mean, this is a history podcast, right? So now that I've put on these new, they live glasses and I can see the, the lies and in, in the modern narrative and in movies and documentaries and things like that, I know how this, all this works. Why would that not apply to history itself? That's why I like your your podcast so much for history is because you guys do take the, the time to like really as much as you can verify stuff, but you still come at it from a place of like, yeah, but we don't really know though. And I think like examining history in this way, it's like, it's going to sound ridiculous to, to anybody who doesn't know me or hasn't listened to the show for a while, but like, I can't look at the moon landing the same way anymore. And I know that sounds stupid. But I just look through those, I look through the numbers and the things they name things and the stories they tell about what happened while they were there. And I'm like, this is all a weird ritual. Maybe they did go, but either way, it has the trappings of some kind of weird spell. I can't prove whether they were there or not, but there are a lot of weird things like the fact that most of them were Freemasons. Uh, they admittedly said that they did a ritual on the moon, Buzz Aldrin and uh, Neil Armstrong, and they took a Masonic apron with them supposedly. So why would you do that? Why would that be important to NASA, the National Aeronautics and Space Administration? Why would doing a Freemasonic ritual and you're telling people that you did a Freemasonic ritual, why would that be important to have that done? If weight and all those things were so, uh, it was so expensive to take anything, any object, every ounce you took on that rocket should have cost money, but it was so important to get that Masonic stuff up there if they really went. Like it's weird things like that. And then you look at the, the symbolism with the patches and all that kind of stuff. You can go all the way back to the founding of all this stuff with uh, JPL, Jack Parsons was <sighs> super occultist. And this isn't hidden, this isn't conspiracy. Oh, it's right there on Wikipedia and his first name's Marvel, sorry. Right, and he, <laughs> he wrote, not love letters, but basically ass kissing letters to Aleister Crawley they did back and forth and he was part of all that organization. And then he got involved with the super scammer, uh, L Ron Hubbard and all that, where, where he took what he learned from them and then founded Scientology and how to manipulate people there. Like this stuff's there, man. This is not conspiracy. This really happened. It's just the general population doesn't know and doesn't care to look. Or they've been given a cleaned up, edited, sanitized version of it. Like on the I history channel. Yeah. <laughs> right after ancient aliens. Um, the, the, uh, the, uh, what was I going to say? Oh yeah. Like, I can't remember if it was Apollo 11 or a later one where they actually like brought like a little figurine to the moon and left it there in remembrance of like some cosmonaut who died. Um, and apparently that's like, that's like a kind of a Freemasonic ritual or maybe not Freemasonic, but it's some kind of a ritual in a way to leave something there that's shaped like a person. I seem to remember something vaguely about nukes involving like a little figurine of a person or something like that. I don't know if that was on your show or something else. I don't think we talked specifically about that, but yeah, there were different of the uh, Apollo missions did different things. Like uh, it was so important to take a golf club <laughs> or they met, fashioned a golf club out of stuff and they had golf balls and it's like things like that. It's like, again, if, if the weight was such a big deal, 
that you had to have those things. Not saying that you shouldn't try and have a little bit of fun, but on something that if one error happened, it could be a, a critical error that costs everybody their lives and bazillions of dollars just went up in smoke. Right. It just seems a little suspicious to me. Like you should be really, really, really careful with everything you do. And the Apollo uh, one crew, the original crew are a perfect example. Like why the hell would you possibly think that having pure oxygen in a capsule is a good idea when you've got electronics everywhere, old school analog electronics, no less where everything is wired and things like that. Like there's live circuits going on with things that were hand wired together where one spark, and this is actually what they think happened. One spark would set up, of course, pure oxygen is going to burn up. What the hell, man? Like this is just common physics 101, yet that's what they did. And of course they had to refigure everything and put it behind because they had to switch what the atmosphere was and all that. So it's like, you just got to wonder like, what the hell is going on with these people's minds that they make decisions like this? What was that documentary that came out not long ago? That was like one, it was like, it was like three hours long of just like debunking every photo of the moon landing. It was it like American moon or something like that. There's a couple of big ones uh, in the 80s and early 90s. There were several. Uh, there's a guy out there who's got some really interesting footage named Bart Sabrell. Oh, yeah. Um, the guy who got punched by Buzz. Yeah, because he because he, he kept going after them. He, he wouldn't let it go. I love that guy. <laughs> it, it's quite interesting. Uh, I don't know him. Uh, a friend of mine knows him. Uh, he's done shows with him. But uh, he was trying to, he focused, he, I like the way he approached this when he was trying to make this documentary. Uh, what was it called? Uh, I think the exact title was A Funny Thing Happened on the Way to the Moon. But that's I it. Be, yep. I might be slightly off, but I think that's what it was. But anyway, he asked NASA for all the footage they would possibly give him from Apollo 11. And he was looking for stuff that wasn't like the same recycled stuff that you saw over and over and over again. And he got all that seemed to be like the same, even though he was asking for unedited footage, all that seemed to be the same homogenized crap that was super edited that you see on PBS documentaries and all that stuff over and over again, except for one reel. And if you watch this one thing and people have it cut out as clips now because the documentary is like 20 years old now, maybe even a little more, uh, where it seems to show that they're faking the distance that the capsule would be from the earth. It's really the only conjecture you can make. So did they go into a low, low earth orbit and then fake the rest? Definitely, maybe. I can't prove that. I've been waiting for technology, for consumer level technology to get to the point where you could have a large enough optical telescope where you could point it at one of the landing sites with a high enough megapixel digital camera that you could zoom in with the pictures you took of the landing sites and see if you can actually see anything so that it's not coming from a major corporation like, like SpaceX and certainly not coming from a government government body like NASA, which by the way, NASA is not a public organization. Its charter is under the Department of Defense. So all of you people out there who thinks NASA is a public organization, you are unfortunately incorrect. And we also haven't been to war since World War II. So there's that. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Well, it just it's shows high, you yeah. how much these terms, like they spin stuff to us. Mm -hmm. Yep. I wanted to sort of connect a couple of the things that came up. So I was thinking about that whole egregore thing and giving something a reality by thinking about it. What's, what's sort of even easier to do is rather than creating something ex nihilo, taking something that does exist and completely changing what it is, giving it a completely new identity by its implantation into the consciousness. And I was thinking back to what we said about Saddam, 
to Americans, you know, in 2003, Saddam was somehow the cause of 9-11, even though, of course, in, re in reality, it was absolutely unconnected. But it had a level of just social belief that I, I still at this day know people who to them, Saddam is connected to 9-11 somehow. They sort of people were so thoroughly convinced of it that it really became an almost historical fact to people. When in reality, of course, we know, and this goes back to the currency thing, that uh, probably had a lot more to do with the uh, plans to disentangle Iraq from international financial markets and everything that goes goes along with that that really was the uh the driving factor but it's it's amazing the way that once something has taken on a reality in people's minds through a sort of common popular belief it it almost becomes dogmatic yeah well it absolutely is and and the thinking is of course like the general average person's thinking is well he must have been the bad guy because we went and did it because we wouldn't do that any otherwise would we well, like, well, did you know that Saddam Hussein worked for the United States government? Did you know that Osama bin Laden had a code name with the CIA, Tim Osman? Like, there's these simple things that are, can easily be fact-checked that the, the average person just doesn't know. It's like, well, why would this Osama bin Laden guy be working for the government that he turned around and attacked? Well, I don't know. Why don't you try and figure it out, genius? Like, think about it for a second. Yeah. Well, I mean, just thinking about, like, how it's like what George said, like how it quickly became like public, not like Saddam Hussein's obviously the target. Obviously he did it. And <laughs> we, have like, we have always been at war with Saddam Hussein. Right. There you go. You just nailed it, dude. You, you nailed it. Yeah. What a great example. Yeah. That's a, that's a one, that's actually like a really deep thing you said just there. Cause Saddam Hussein's name keeps changing. We're always at war with somebody. And it seems like these days we're just like at war with ourselves in a way, but I'm also seeing, you know, it's like, honestly, like Jason, if I ever, if I told myself three years ago when I found Crow Triple Seven, I'd eventually be talking to you. I wouldn't have believed it because back then I thought you guys were nuts. And, <laughs> <laughs> and what's funny is I stuck with you. It. Yeah, I, I stuck with you guys for three years and I was just like, I, constantly you were right about stuff. And I was like, all right, well, I have no ability because I'm just a big dummy. I can't sit here and call this guy crazy or those guys you know, way too far afield because they just keep being freaking right about everything. And so it's time to swallow the humble pie and actually start, you know, applying some of what I've learned from Crow Triple Seven to how I do things on my show. And well, our show, George, I haven't forgotten you. <laughs> um, but uh, at the same time, like when you're doing things in this way, it can be a little bit scary to like really stick your neck out there and be like, hey, I'm going to like get in touch with with Jason and I'm going to talk to him. And it was the same way when I first talked to Howdy McCoskey, I was like, this is a big risk. I'm going to like, am I going to ruin my credibility as a, as a person who studies history by talking to a guy who thinks the world's fairs were like, you know, like, I don't know, recapturing lost ground for some ancient empire. Then I just realized like, you know, but it's not about, like, I think it's a psyop by the way. Right. Right. And if you want to go into that, I'm going to, I'm going to, I want you to go into that. Um, and I'll just stop right there. If you want to talk about that. Well, I didn't want to cut you off. Did you did you finish your point? No. I uh had one one last thing I wanted to just add with the uh the Saddam thing. And since we referenced it, if people are interested, go read about the Iran-Iraq war and how Saddam how Saddam received massive amounts of uh of support from the US, both uh, militarily, financially, 
if you want to sort of know what we're talking about there with the change in narrative. That's why Zelensky needs to watch his ass is what I'm saying. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> yeah, that's another one. I keep telling people when they ask my opinion on that, I'm like I see so much stuff being thrown at us, like from an information warfare aspect. I have absolutely no idea what is going on there. No. It's now like- I have a friend in Lithuania when uh, this first started happening, her, not her, she's in her twenties, but uh, her parents are old enough that they lived through the Soviet Union era. And she said that everybody was terrified that they thought Russia was going to try and start putting the Soviet Union back together. And they were actually discussing get out plans and like everything is go West, go to Poland. Like let's get out of here before anything goes down. And of course that hasn't happened, but I'm just saying like this had a very real world effect that I was able to find out firsthand. Well, secondhand, uh, because of somebody that I personally know and have known for years. Cause she told me, I asked her opinion on it and she's like, Oh yeah. That like the average person started getting scared that they really felt that Russia might be on the war path to rebuild the Soviet Union. And that that is the last thing they wanted. That's interesting insight. I mean, it's, it is crazy how fast things are just thrown at us, including the PSYOP with the, uh, with the lost history or whatever. So if you want to talk Tartaria about Tartaria is the big one. That's the yeah. one I have a problem with. Now, this is my opinion. We all know that things get manipulated through time. There's no way, unless you were there or have very good evidence, the further you go back in time, the more there can be a question mark on things. I think that's a pretty common sense approach to any of this, right? Mm-hmm. But as far as the stuff that I hear about the Tartarian narrative and all that, and it's it's changed over the years. When this started coming out a few years ago, and they were talking about this, the, the big thing I kept hearing about is mud flood, mud flood, mud flood. Okay, so worldwide mud flood happened during the time of the American Civil War. And automatically my bullshit detector went off because I was like, wait a second. The American Civil War is massively documented pretty much <laughs> on a personal level. If something crazy like that was going on, shouldn't someone somewhere at some time during this time frame of the 1860s have mentioned it in that some internet sleuth in the 21st century is just bringing it to light? So nobody in a journal anywhere wrote about finding fabulous cities. Nobody in a journal wrote about how giant, whatever it was supposed to be, giant uh, mounds of mud were, were raining down and overtaking cities, whatever the narrative is supposed to be. I was like, okay. So that to me automatically is like, no, that makes no sense because this is a time before the modern era where everything was conglomerated down with the, with the media companies, everything, there was still a lot of independent journalism. Now there was a lot of yellow journalism and, and blatant bullshitting going on to sell newspapers, but doesn't change the fact that there were people writing their own stuff. Like it wasn't, was it put in the family Bible? Was it put in journals that we still have to this day? No, there's no evidence of this anywhere that I'm aware of. I will, I will make sure to say I'm, that I'm aware of. I'm glad you uh, you brought the journal the journalism thing go back going to the the media. I've got to take off in just a minute here, but I want to leave on one final thing that it sort of occurred to me, and this relates to what you're saying about the elites being kind of stupid and not not always being successful. And one thing that seems to me they really tried. And it just never quite took off relatively recently was this uh, the institution of this sort of priestly cast of fact checkers 
Like who are all left leaning, by the way, you who are it's see. who are all just another set of journalists who work for the exact same people they're allegedly yeah. fact checking for. And I, from the very beginning, it just it was ridiculous when you look. It's like ah, we understand that people have started to lose trust in journalists, so now we're going to take half those journalists and ordain them as fact checkers, <laughs> and then everyone will unhesitatingly believe what they say. I like your choice of words because it seems to be very accurate. <laughs> no, really. It was a, like, and I remember during the 2016 election, like Hillary really leaned into the, the fact checkers yeah. who have, you know, given us these scrolls of wisdom, which are not to be questioned because they're not journalists. They're you know, they may work in the same offices. And a year ago, all of them were technically just journalists, but now, now they are fact checkers. And I feel like it was a meme that never, that didn't really work. Like, I think they, they seem to honestly think that people would just now unhesitatingly believe anything that was written first by a journalist, but then had the, uh, the imprimatur on it from a fact checker. No, that's totally true. And uh, by the way, to finish up with the Tartarian narrative, I live on the North shore of New Orleans. New Orleans is, uh, is across the bridge uh, from Lake Pontchartrain. So just to show you how these narratives can get in there, I went to, to the French Quarter, which is a couple hundred years old. So if a worldwide mud flood happened, you would think that New Orleans, and specifically the French Quarter, uh, which has existed longer than this supposed mud flood that would have taken place around the time of the American Civil War, and New Orleans being either at sea level or just a tiny hair above it, well, there should be evidence of this, all this stuff that these people are always pointing out. And uh, no, there wasn't any. I walked around in and out of the streets, looking at the buildings, looking at the, at the, the windows, like everything that, they, that the people who are really into this Tartarian narrative at the time, they don't, they don't lean on this anymore. But this is, this is something from a few years ago. And I've done this more than once. I go down there quite a lot. And I always just kind of glance around, see if there's anything that I could possibly say, okay, well, something weird could have happened that nobody bothered to report on, by the way. No, nobody said that this happened, but okay, fine. And of course, that frustrates people who are into this narrative because, I mean, I'm right. Right. It's a, it's a lovely story. I mean, we did a bonus episode for our patrons. He was playing in this game, Escape from Tarkov. And so I called the episode Escape from Tartaria. And that was the time when it was like, it was really hitting fever pitch and everyone was like posting about it. And I was like, I find this like fascinating. Like it's, it's like I, one of my new mottos this over the last couple of years has been conspiracy theories are chew toys for curious people. You don't want to get stuck to them, you know, but they can be fun. Um, but people started putting their whole reputation on like, oh, I've done the research and the photos aren't right. But I guess to finish up the point I was um, originally trying to make about Howdy was, I like the guy. I don't know if, he, I, but we talked about it and we sort of discussed like, well, that's not what you're, that's like not your whole thing. And people tried to make him like the yeah. world's fair guy. And he's just like a really good thinker. Yeah, you learn no, a lot he's a great that. dude. I really like him. Yeah. Well, so, on that note, I have to take off for a meeting here. Okay, George. Well, thanks for joining us. We'll finish up and... We'll see. We'll huh. see you later, sir. All right, hey, Jason. Man. It's good to meet you. You too, bro. I'll have to I'll have to listen in on this, and I bet, I bet you saved all the real spicy material for la for last. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's something spicy that a lot of people might not uh, be too happy about me saying, at least in certain circles. 
I am heavily leaning towards the fact that this whole Tartaria thing is a psyop because anytime someone goes against that narrative, you see them losing their channels or getting smashed in some way by the system super quick. Exactly. But there's other narratives that you could say that that doesn't happen to, like Flat Earth stuff is everywhere and I'm mm -hmm. not attacking or being pro Flat Earth. I'm just saying like that narrative, generally you don't see that happening with, but you attack Tartaria, boom. And we've had this happen personally with us, like in regard to us. It happened to, to Owen Benjamin when he brought it up. He lost four Instagram channels that day that he mentioned it. Uh, Woody and AOR, who are uh, two, two guys that do great research, same thing happened to them. As soon as our episode with him with them came out, boom, their YouTube channel got ripped down. Yeah, that, that episode was fantastic. And I, I love that you're, you're calling it a PSYOP because I think you're right. That's exactly what it is. And it's the same thing with the whole flat earth round thing, earth thing. And I don't want to offend any flat earthers or round earthers. I'm a, I'm a Minecraft earther. I will remind you. Um, the, <laughs> the thing of, about it is like, oh yeah, you can find plenty of flat earth stuff. So maybe that, you know, how could that be it if it's allowed? Because the only thing I've seen, and I'm sure you understand, you, you have seen more of this than I, because I'm just a history podcaster. I'm not actually going after <laughs> the big bad guys all that much. Um, if you do something that's legitimately a threat to a narrative or something like that, you're gone. Um, if you're doing yeah. something that's a, like sidestepping a narrative, you're fine. But if you go directly up against it and you say, I don't buy it, they nuke well, you. Yeah. Well, that happened big time uh, during the height of the, the pandemic crap. Like you couldn't talk, uh, you couldn't do anything really to speak out against it or you'd lose a Twitter account or a Facebook account or anything like that. You know, they, they would stomp down hard on you. You were not allowed to counter the narrative in any way, shape or form that there was, no, there's a horrible pandemic going on and you're spreading uh, misinformation. The reason why I stopped live streaming on YouTube, we broke down a white paper called the SPARS epidemic. It's, it was just a couple of years old. This was an official white paper and I forget which, I don't remember if it was the CDC, like one of the major organizations. So we did a live stream of that and they ripped it down that night saying it was medical misinformation. I was like, I wrote back, I was like, how is this medical misinformation? When this came, this was a proposed study that came from one of the major medical organizations of the world. But because you decided it was medical misinformation, you're ripping the, the show down and that's that. And I never live streamed again on YouTube after that. I went to Rockfin. I remember when you and Wayne were doing that, I was working nights and so many times I just stopped what I was doing and was like, this is the most horrifying thing I've ever heard. Uh, like it's right there. It's right there. And the, we're not even having, and, and if you come out and you say it's right there on the website, let's look at it together. People get triggered and like freak out at you. But man, yeah, this is going to sound really naive, man, but I didn't realize you were still doing secrets of Saturn. I thought you were done with it. Well, I occasionally put things up on the YouTube channel and we'll use it sometimes for live streaming stuff and then delete it so the channel doesn't get attacked. Mm -hmm. But uh, I do Secrets of Saturn just on Rockfin. So I have literally like one one thousandth of the audience. Like I used to get hundreds of people who would tune into a live uh, to a live stream that I would do on YouTube and I get like 15 to 30 at most on Rockfin. Now, I wow. think it a lot of people watch it in... Uh, later time after after the broadcast but whereas i had so many people coming in and a huge chat room going on all that kind of stuff on the youtube channel uh it's barely a blip on rockfin but i can literally and have completely uh said anything and everything that i want on rockfin and they don't say boo 
The only problem I ever had with Rockfin was when they had a disagreement with Owen Benjamin because the owner didn't know who he was and what he was about and that he was a professional comedian and all that kind of stuff. And they finally got, got their panties out of the bunch that they were in and actually brought them back. So the one problem I even had with Rockfin is now, has now been resolved. So kudos to them for uh, being open-minded. Well, I, I got to say, like, I, I love Secrets of Saturn. Um, so I'm going to definitely check that out on Rockfin. I always listen to it on SoundCloud, though. That was where I found it. Um, but yeah, I don't want to keep you too much longer here, Jason. You've, given, you've been very generous with your time. Um, was there anything else you'd like to cover while we're on here? Or um, are you feeling pretty good? Well, I, I do want to point out something that's going on big time in the modern time, like the last couple of years. And this is just something for everyone to think about. And again, I keep harping on this stuff because this is what Western and more so American culture. Why are all the major entertainment companies just throwing away their major cash cows just to insert diversity, equity, inclusion stuff? Hmm. Like literally things like the Marvel Universe has become, it's not the MCU anymore, it's the MCU. Mm-hmm. And it's not even that they're, making more female characters they don't act like women and they're just letting this overtake everything and but the stories are awful oh yeah you can get away with a lot of bullshit if you're writing a good story but they're not writing good stories same thing with star trek like modern star trek is not the star trek that gene roddenberry's original vision was it's just a whole bunch of social justice warrior nonsense so those shows are crashing and burning and they're stupid expensive uh, Star Wars is another one. Star Wars has literally lost half their fan base because they keep attacking the fan base. Right. Like, why are you doing that? Like, why is somebody, and I, uh, this is something a lot of the, the nerd channels that I, I follow, I follow these nerd channels on YouTube because they're into this way more than I am. And it's an easy way for me to keep on the pulse of things because my favorite subject out of all this, if you want to call it conspiracy stuff, is social engineering, which is why Edward Bernays is so... Uh, so much a, a favorite subject of mine and what he did, and what he accomplished. You got to ask yourself, why are they throwing all this away? Like Disney has literally lost zillions of dollars. I don't, I don't know exact numbers, but like their last quarter, they lost over a billion dollars. I think it was like a billion and a half just on streaming. Hmm. Well, stop, stop spending tens of millions of dollars on stuff. That's absolute trash. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's cause my, I mean, my opinion coming from a film background as well, like it looks to me like they're not getting their money from us. It looks like well, they're getting it and from there, else. And there is some validity to that. Uh, do you know about things like ESG scores? And, yes, I am aware yeah. of ESG, but it's like, it's like, wait a second. So like, you're going to be this nakedly obvious about it. But what is the point of introducing these like poison pills for culture, aside from what you said in the beginning, which is depopulation? That's what I see all of these vectors, all of these major mainstream movements pointing toward. It's like, don't have kids. Uh, take the pill, take your antidepressants, uh, you know, get hooked on booze. Uh, don't have men and women anymore. No men and women anymore. You know, uh, castrate yourself because you're brave and beautiful. Um, you know, it's all towards sanit's like, san- like sterilizing people. Yeah. Well, what other assumption can you come up with? If you have a property like Star Wars, which literally should have been when George Lucas signed that over for four and a half billion dollars, you literally bought a money tree. And yet, for instance, the solo movie lost money. 
How do you lose money on a Star Wars film? How incompetent do you have to be to make a Star Wars film that loses mm-hmm. money? Well, is it incompetency or is it intention? It's absolutely intentional. To what end, I don't know, except that what I, another vector I have observed from the outside is that they worship ugliness and hate beauty. And I don't know what demonic force pilots a person to want to destroy all beauty, but that appears to be what they're doing. And I can see why people get nostalgic and want to believe in things like Tartaria because it was back then everything was beautiful and everything was free and we were all we were all good and clear. And that's why the PSYOP is so effective is because it's the exact counter opposite to what we have now. Yeah, you're getting very conspiratorial here. I'm pretty sure that you uh, might have a tinfoil hat underneath your uh, your desk that you might be pulling out at any moment. <laughs> but here's the thing. This isn't conspiracy. These are things that are going on. Like I haven't said anything that is quote unquote conspiracy theory. Everything, no. I think everything I've said, I've tried very hard uh, over the last two hours to say things that you could go and fact check me on. And again, those, those facts are, you have to take them with a grain of salt. It is what it is. Uh, we don't know if everything that we're finding is accurate, but you, you have to start somewhere. You have to use with what you can work with. Your, right. your, your final product is only as good as the tools you have available to work with. So as far as I know, I have tried to speak things that someone could go through every single statement I made in the last two hours and fact check me. Mm-hmm. And I think that, I think that's pretty much, that's pretty much accurate. It's okay to ask questions and it's okay to say you, you're not sure of something, but here's a potentially other perspective on, on what it could be. And you know, many times on my show in the past, I've I've never done a retraction, but many times in the past, I've changed and shaped how I speak so that I'm actually being more honest about how I'm presenting the information. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's like it, 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 you know, it it feels like we're almost going to end on a dark note, which I don't want to do because uh, the the thing about it is like I feel very positive about the future because it does feel like the veils are dropping very quickly. Um, you know, well, here's a good positive thing I can throw in here towards the end. Okay. Do you remember a few months ago, they tried to pull a monkeypox narrative and they tried to <laughs> paint it as this great, big, horrible thing that was going to follow up after the COVID nonsense? Yeah. It failed and it failed miserably. All I saw were a bunch of really funny memes that came out of it. People ridiculed it. This is fucking stupid. This is retarded. This is ridiculous. This is not anything to be concerned about. And guess what? The narrative was dropped. Mm-hmm. We've because learned. It was dumb. Yeah. We've learned. I think the uh, one thing I talked about, I just had a couple filmmakers on uh, my other show and we talked about media literacy and media literacy is rising. People are beginning to understand that the screen can lie and not only can it lie, it's usually lying. And the reason uh, Zoomers can you know, dance circles around boomers is boomers don't, I don't mean to sound like I'm classifying everybody the same way because obviously they're not all the same, but boomers just grew up in a different kind of world where the tv wasn't it wasn't lying it was just your friend and it wanted to teach you things and show you information and you know send you to bed at midnight or whatever zoomers grew up in the world knowing that that lying box in your pocket is a window of deception and if you believe it you're the mark right right now I would like to say that in general, I think they've overplayed their hand with a lot of the narratives from the past few years. Here's here's a great way to end on a more positive note. Unfortunately, a lot of people fell for the very large narratives that have been being pushed the past couple of years. But with that being said, I think it's kind of like 9-11. Now, the truth movement, for whatever you want to 
whatever you want to consider the truth movement, the people who are into crazy conspiracy theories, was very small in uh, the 90s and before. There were pockets, but it wasn't, it wasn't what it became post 9-11. There were so many inconsistencies with the main story, and I, I don't know exactly what happened that day. But if you read exactly what they tell you, it doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. Like too many people in the mainstream, I've even asked my own mother this, it's like, how many buildings collapsed on September 11, 2001? They're going to say two, mm-hmm. but it's not true. Three collapsed, two mm-hmm. that got hit by planes and one that did not. And then they tell this poppycock story if someone tries to get to the next level of questioning. Well, that's because it was on fire. It's like no building has, no massive superstructure has ever collapsed just from fire. Right. Like in perfect free fall where it, it looked like a perfect demolition. But again, now I'm getting into speculation. I can't prove that that building was detonated, but sure as shit looks like it when the middle pops and goes down and the sides collapse, that looks exactly like a typical demolition. Right. And I think I think you're right to point out that this this group of people who are interested in finding, you know, maybe more true things than they knew before, um, I think it ballooned with COVID. And I know for me, like, it was the psyops leading up to COVID that broke me free and allowed me to see straight through that one. Um, but I mean, speaking very frankly, I think they used to be able to just pick guys like us off. Um, and they used to be more bold about it, but I think, you know, these days there's just far too many people. It's not illegal to listen to podcasts, right? It's not illegal to read government documents, right? Um, and there's nothing scary about it. You have to do it with a big smile on your face. So. Yeah, I, I don't know. I feel like that's that's a pretty positive note. What do you think, Jason? Yeah, no, I totally agree. And uh, to end cap this all off, uh, on Crow 777 Radio, the reason why we can write shows the way we write them is because the information's out there. I'm not sitting down to write 30 plus bullet points of notes to use on a two-hour program because I'm writing fiction, that I'm literally fabricating these things out of thin air. Right. I'm looking at sources all over the place, try to cross-reference as much as I can, and then writing, I, a lot of times I try and do it based on a timeline to make it uh, easier for people to understand that there's an order of events. But if that stuff didn't exist, I couldn't do that. Or else I would have to be spinning yarns, mm-hmm. which I'm not. Yeah, you guys wouldn't have a show if you weren't pulling from real things. And it was, it was me investigating some of the amazing things I heard on that show to find out they were true. That made me go, okay let me do my own research on this. And that was another one they tried to run halfway through. It was like, don't do your own research. You're, you're a dummy. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, so, no, okay, Jason, <laughs> Jason, I have, I have one last thing for you. One of the things I like to do when, when I end the show is I like to say, we'll close out and we'll let the sound of blank play you out. And I usually let the guests pick a song. Do you have a song that you like? Yes. The Ballad okay. of the Mighty Eye by Noel Gallagher. What? I got to write that down so I don't forget it halfway through. The Ballad of the Mighty Eye. Okay. I'm, I'm just going to go listen to this for the first time when I edit this. <laughs> well, if you don't know who Noel Gallagher is, he's one of the two brothers from Oasis who wrote all their big hits. Mm. And now that they broke up uh, however many years ago now, 2009, I think there's one Oasis split. He's been doing his own solo thing, and he's it's still the same kind of music. I mean, he he wrote just about everything from the Oasis era. Uh, this is off the second album he calls his uh, solo band Noel Gallagher's High Flying Birds. 
and I love his music. I always have uh, for many years now, I should say. And uh, that's my absolute favorite. Well, one of my absolute favorite tunes he's ever put out uh, on his solo gig. So check it out. Well, it's going on the end of this. So uh, everybody say, uh, say, uh, give, give Jason your mental applause. We can hear it from here spiritually somehow on some different plane of consciousness. And on that note, we'll close out and let the ballad of the mighty eye play you out.